Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we ask that you'd speak to us. May we hear from your word. And may it transform our lives. May it challenge us to live in ways we otherwise would not. And may it help us as we continue to strive to live the way of Jesus. We, have this, this, we ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Power is an unavoidable commodity in our world. We can't do much of anything without it. If you think about it, our bodies need energy, and power is created from that energy that keeps us alive. Our modern world is built on the power of electricity. And we don't really think about electricity much, at least most of us don't, unless we go to turn on the light and it doesn't work. Or we're sitting there in the evening in the hottest day of the summer, watching TV, and the thunderstorm comes in and there goes the power. We've got to, th- we've got to sleep, without air- <clears throat> sleep without air conditioning. And then we think about electricity. But other than that, it's usually just there. But power is central to our lives. And there's power that's more abstract than something like electricity or something like nutrients that our body uses. There's also the power of art. A good song can move us. A, a painting or mural can move us. Poetry can move us. And we can talk about People having power over other people. And sometimes we mean that in a physical sense, but sometimes that's just something that people have over other people without any actual physical control. It's just something about them creates power over other people. Power's everywhere, it's something that's unavoidable. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. It's not something that we should always be critical of. But we need to be aware that it's there. And as we've explored in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus on display, and we've looked at a billboard of who Jesus is, and as we saw two weeks ago, Jesus comes with the kingdom and he calls people to repent and be followers of him and members of the kingdom of God. The question that I said two weeks ago we need to think about is, well, what does it look like for the kingdom to come? And if Jesus is a king, he has to reign in a certain place. He has to have part of a, the world that he is con, over, uh, in control of. Kings reign. So what is it that Jesus is king over? And what does it mean for his kingdom to come? And this week, as we continue to explore this idea, we see that Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. So if you want to open up to Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at a story that Mark tells about Jesus and his kingdom, and it's Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. If you want to follow along in your Bible or the Pew Bible, it will also be here on the screen. 
So let's go ahead and jump right in, starting with verse 21. This is how Mark opens this section of his, his gospel. He says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. So we'll leave this up. This is how Mark starts. Now, a reminder, it's been a couple weeks. But several weeks ago, we jumped into Mark's gospel, and Jesus had shared, in Mark had shared Jesus' mission, and that mission was the call for people to repent and believe the kingdom. And then he shared two stories of people repenting to follow the kingdom. He shared the story of Peter and his brother, Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, Simon and Andrew, and also James and John, two other followers of Jesus. And he shares these stories. And now what Mark's going to do is tell us stories about Jesus announcing the kingdom and what it looks like for the kingdom to come. So in chapter 1, earlier in chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is in Galilee. So let's take a look at this region. I recently was able to, uh, and I know you can't see this as well as we'd like, the sun's coming in, and uh, I can't make the names brighter. But you can see where Galilee is over here. Um, Galilee's north, Samaria is in that blue section, and then Judea is far south, and you can't read the names of the um, cities. But down south is where Jerusalem is, and up where Galilee is, you can see where there's a blue lake. Now that is the Sea of Galilee, and you can't tell because it's not really clear on the map, but there's a river from the Sea of Galilee all the way down here to the blue on the right side of Judea. Now that's the Dead Sea. Now there's a river, and that's the Jordan River. So Jesus was in Galilee. He leaves Nazareth. You can see these arrows where he comes down to near Judea along the Jordan River. That's where he goes to meet John the Baptist. We looked at a story early in Mark where Jesus was with John the Baptist. And now he goes back up to Galilee. And then, let's go to the next slide. And then he goes here to Galilee. And you can see here where there's this blue on the right side of Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee. So we have another picture. So here's the Sea of Galilee blown up. And I know you can see it a little bit better, but still, it's not as clear as we would like. But up here, the biggest name is Capernaum. So this is where Jesus goes. Now, the story we looked at two weeks ago takes place on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Peter and James and John and Andrew were fishing. This is where they fished on this sea. And we have a picture of it, one more picture. So here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of a dusk picture. That's the only one I could have to show you. Um, it's not the best picture when you can see it clearly because it's at sunset. But with what I had on my computer program, that's the only picture. But that's the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus is at. Capernaum is the biggest city in the region. It's along a major trade route. It's probably the center of all of the fishing enterprises that happen on the Sea of Galilee. And then they would bring in to market their fish. And then on that trade route... Fish would go everywhere, and people would be traveling and buying and selling. It was a very wealthy town in the region. This is where Jesus is at. He goes to a synagogue. Synagogues were central to Jewish faith in the first century. Most Jews only went to the temple maybe once a year. Now, you saw that first picture where Galilee is. It's very close to Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. 
So Jesus and his followers probably made it to the temple at least once. I mean, and we've read the Gospels. Jesus goes several times throughout the stories to Jerusalem. And he goes to the temple. But for most Jews, their faith life was centered around the synagogue. And the synagogue was a local gathering of worship for Jewish people. All around the Roman Empire, wherever there was a Jewish community, there was a synagogue. So even if you lived in Rome and you couldn't go to Jerusalem maybe once in your whole life to the temple, you went to the synagogue every week in your community. And the synagogues were very similar to our worship services. And one of the most important parts of a synagogue gathering was the reading and teaching of Torah or Scripture. And it was common for traveling teachers who were in town to be given an opportunity to teach at the local synagogue if they were going to be around when they met. So what Jesus is doing is pretty common. He's a teacher in town in Capernaum. It's the day for synagogue, and they say, hey, you're more than welcome to teach. So Jesus gets up, and he teaches. And this is how the people respond. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So this is how the people of Capernaum experience Jesus in his teaching. He amazes them because he teaches as somebody with authority. Now, teachers of the law is a generic term. It meant different things depending where you were at. But the general rule was that most synagogues had a teacher of the law because usually there was one synagogue per community unless it was big enough to have more than one. And somebody in that synagogue community was responsible to teach the law. So they would, and when we say teach the law, that means they taught the scriptures. For the Jewish people, all of their scriptures are viewed as law because Torah is more about commandments of life not law that we think about where it's a written law code that has things that you're not supposed to do. But it's a commandment, and it's about the way of the Jewish life. So the teacher of the law was the person who was teaching the Jewish people how to live. He was clarifying situations that needed clarified. He was offering advice. And I say he because it usually was a male. I mean, I would say almost exclusively that it was a male. So Jesus teaches differently than these teachers of the law. Now in Capernaum, the teacher of the law was probably some fisherman or somebody's grandpa. You go to Jerusalem, the teachers of the law were maybe would have been more like a lawyer. They would have had a more of a proper authoritative position in the Jewish system, in the temple system of ruling on law, matters of Jewish uh, law. But Jesus isn't like any of these people. He has actual power and authority. So what this shows us from Mark is an angle to see the kingdom of God. And this angle shows us that Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. His teaching didn't come like the teachers of the law. 
Instead, his kingdom comes with power and authority. So this is what Mark starts off with, but he continues to tell us in verse 23. He said, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So now something unexpected happens. Jesus is at the synagogue teaching, and then a man who is possessed by an impure spirit begins to speak to him. Now, an impure spirit, sometimes we would call these in the, in the New Testament, the word demon is used. But impure spirits were not unheard of in the first century. People knew about them. People believed that they existed. But usually they were associated with magicians. And when I say magicians, I'm not talking about people who do illusions in Las Vegas. It's not like that. We're talking about people who would do voodoo and things like that. I don't know if you've seen uh, the movie The Prince and the Frog. It's a movie that, that Annette likes. It's a Disney movie from... Uh, 2009, 2010. And in that movie, uh, there is a character who practices voodoo and he is able to bind evil, impure spirits to do his bidding. And then later in the movie, the bind that he has over them breaks and they are able to then do what they wish. But that is what New Testament people thought of when they thought about impure spirits. People who were able to create power over these spirits and control them. And the magicians would do this sometimes and they would gain power over spirits so that they could cast them out of people, but also so they could control them. And this was a practice in the first century. And this impure spirit knows who Jesus is. He says, I recognize you, Holy One of God. And Mark continues, this is what happens when Jesus encounters this spirit. With verse 25 and 26, he says, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So Mark ignores this little clue about who Jesus is. He he just mentions it in his story and moves on. But then what he tells us is that Jesus speaks and the impure spirit must respond. So unlike the magicians in the first century who had very complicated rituals, very specific words and actions and things they had to do to control spirits, Jesus simply speaks and this spirit must respond. This gives us another glimpse into the kingdom. Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. And people notice, verse 27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. With this story, Mark is showing us the work of the kingdom. He's giving us a glimpse into the kingdom coming into the world. Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. 
Jesus comes and he announces the kingdom is coming. He announces that you need to repent and believe that it's here. And part of the kingdom coming is Jesus making space in the world for the kingdom to take root. And this story shows that he has authority over evil spirits in the world. And he's able to make space from these evil spirits so that the kingdom of God can take root in the world. Because Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. He teaches with power and authority. And he has power and authority over the evil spirits of the world. And people notice, verse 28 News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. People knew there was something different about Jesus and his kingdom. Because people didn't go around casting out demons and having power to teach in ways that transformed and challenged people. And people knew that he was different. They could tell that Jesus and his kingdom came, come with power and authority. So what is on display today? What is on this billboard for us to see about Jesus? Jesus and his kingdom are in a league of their own. Mark wants us to see that Jesus' teachings are in a league of their own. He doesn't actually give us an example of the teaching Matthew tells us Jesus teaches with authority, and then he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. Mark doesn't do that. But Mark says that people hear Jesus teach, and they're amazed. And then they see him cast out an evil spirit, and they're amazed. His message of repentance comes with real power and authority. And people noticed. And if we hadn't missed church last week the service last week, we would have seen one more sermon uh, and one more story about Jesus having power. And that's a story of Jesus having power over, again, the bondage of evil, but this time illness and people's um, disabilities and different things. Where uh, The next story is that Jesus heals um, many people and also he later heals um, a man with leprosy and then he heals someone who's paralyzed, and then he heals somewhere in here, uh, Simon, Simon's mother-in-law. But this is a story that Mark's telling. Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. They have power and authority over the bondage in the world. So Jesus comes with power. He teaches with wisdom. And the way of Jesus is a life following the teachings of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus. And his kingdom comes with power and authority. But not only does Jesus teach with power and authority, he also comes with power and authority over the forces of evil. In the New Testament, it also talks about these forces of evil as the power of Satan, the power of evil. 
The New Testament, the book of Revelation, talks about the power of the dragon, the beasts, and Babylon. But Jesus' kingdom comes with power and authority over all of these ideas. And this is when the message of the Gospels hits real life. The New Testament's perspective on the world is that the world is under the control of the character and and specific revelation that gets named the Satan, the adversary of God. And then Revelation talks about this Satan as being the dragon who has beasts in the world who then creates Babylon. This is the theology of the world in the New Testament. The world is under control of Satan the beast, the dragon, the beasts, and through the reign of Babylon, they control the world. In the New Testament, the Gospels specifically present Jesus as coming into the world with power and authority to break those forces of evil and establish the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's making space in the world for his kingdom to take root. And when we follow the way of Jesus, when we live according to the wisdom of Jesus, that's following his teachings, when we trust in the power of Jesus, the power he has over sin and death and the brokenness in the world, what we do is we create a place in the world where God's kingdom takes root. And that's what we are. We are a community of people who follow the way of Jesus. We strive to live by his wisdom, to have his life transform us into his image. We also trust in his power over the forces of darkness in the world. And we trust that his reign is taking root in the darkness. Because Jesus and his kingdom come with power and authority. So may we not forget that this is true. And may we live a life that reflects those convictions. That's the call of the way of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. That the true king has come to establish his kingdom again and to overthrow the powers of the dragon, the beast, and Babylon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come today as your people. And we gather to worship your son, to proclaim him king, to recognize that he has defeated Satan and the powers of sin and evil, that he's overthrown the dragon, the beasts in Babylon through his sacrifice and resurrection and victory over sin and death. And that he's called us to repent of our commitment to the way of Babylon and he's called us to follow the way of Jesus, to follow him, to learn about the wisdom of life as he's called us to live, and to live in his kingdom where he has established peace and hope and freedom from brokenness and evil and sin. 
Today, may we continue to commit to follow him, to give him our full allegiance as our king, to trust his guidance in the world, to await his return, and to strive to live as followers of him in the world. And we ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.